Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Literally an institution in this town of digging up old photos, old stories, collections, everything you can imagine under the sun about this great city. Greasy spoons, dives, old clubs. If you love this city, you're going to love it even more. Real people, real stories, real places. This is the Austin Found Podcast. Welcome back to the show. We appreciate you tuning in. I'm J.B. Hager. And I'm Michael Barnes. Of the Austin American Statesman. And and Austinites very often talk about the music scene and how that built our culture. You know, at one point we were... uh, we were a town of state government mm-hmm. and the college. That's right. That Only was pretty much two. it. That was it. <laughs> and then the, the 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 music scene came in, and everyone talks about that. You know, they talk about Armadillo World Headquarters and Outlaw Country and Willie and Friends, mm-hmm. sort of adopting Austin, and the psychedelic rock scene, which we'll get more into because that's a very important part of the story. But also part of the culture that shaped Austin as this funky place, the weird place that we all know and love, was also the posters that were designed to promote this new music scene in Austin. They gave a a visual image to the huge cultural change, which was beginning to happen in the 60s and really did blossom in the 70s and it was a culture of protest it was a culture of celebrating civil rights and gay lib and women's lib and chicano rights and it was a culture of pleasure it was a culture of kicking back and smoking a joint and drinking a pearl beer or lone star beer and it actually brought the communities together more often than dividing them. The most amazing thing, of course, was it brought together the hippies and the rednecks. Mm -hmm. And they all kind of just hung out together, and the posters were loved by all of them and saved by all of them. And you'd go into an apartment as late as the 1980s, I can remember this, and there were those fabulous psychedelic posters from the, the, mostly from the late 60s and into the 70s. So there's this scene in the late 60s and psychedelic what do they call this psychedelic highway? Uh, the hippie highway. The hippie highway. Yes. Well, we were on the hippie highway. The hippies would go out to San Francisco, other places where there was a scene and trade drugs, you know, our, our uh, pot and POD for their LSD. So a lot of uh, what was the earliest forms of Austin music concert posters 
were very much like the ones in San Francisco. But it was completely reinterpreted here with our own signs and symbols and, you know, cacti and and rattlesnakes and, most importantly... The armadillo. The armadillo. People who weren't in Texas and specifically Austin during the early 70s don't know how ubiquitous (laughs) the image of the poor armadillo was. It was everywhere. It was supposed to stand for... Many people had different interpretations, but kind of for the underground, you know, the underground culture of Austin and, you know, nocturnal, nocturnal, <laughs> kind of blind, kind of and run over by rednecks. Uh, so um, we were a city that needed some kind of visual interpretation and these concept posters were that. And there were great, great artists associated with it. Jim Franklin was kind of, to me, the leader. He had a really well-developed sense of visual imagery from the beginning, and he helped teach and promote the other poster artist. Michael Priest, who was a commercial artist, and he was the one who was able to bring in all kinds of beautiful storytelling into it. And there was Guy Jukes and Carry On and all these other guys. It was mostly guys. And they all knew each other and they all hung out and they all competed with each other. And they all had side gigs. And they all worked very hard on these posters. Um, and speaking of side gigs, uh, you, you've probably seen Carry On because, and that's K-E-R-R-Y-A-W-N, because he's a longtime member of Esther's Follies. Mm. He had his own hangout called the Velveeta Room, and he had this character called, is was it Mr. Velveeta? Or is, I can't, now I can't remember. I but don't know. It was this know. really oily character that was on cable TV all the time, and he was in the... I remember a Carmen Banana. Yeah. <laughs> Same era. Same era. <laughs> and he was a member of the Uranium Savages, which got its start huh. at the Ritz, uh, which is now the, the downtown Alamo Draft House. Oh, wow. The Ritz Theater, which Jim Franklin, the poster artist, ran. So it, it's all connected. Yeah. It's all connected. And one of the distinct things about our posters in the Austin area is they weren't as colorful as... <laughs> Everywhere else. Well, color is expensive. Yeah. And other things that go into printing are expensive. And so they stuck with pen and ink on paper that was then reproduced. But pen and ink did very well because it's easy to reproduce. You've got hash marks. You've got clear outlines. It's You're not trying to get a bunch of psychedelic colors onto a page. Uh, although th- they certainly did do that. It, but the the main uh, method was pen and ink. First of all, we should remind if there's any kids listening, because you think, how would you promote a, co- a concert in the late 60s in mm-hmm. Austin, Texas? And in your world, it's online. You know, you follow your favorite artist. That information is everywhere. At this time, literally, it meant a concert's coming. Willie's going to be playing. Rocky Erickson's going to be playing. Let's paper the city and telephone poles with posters. Right. There could have been some radio promotion, but for a lot of the acts, they couldn't get it because if you were a psychedelic band, you were considered, you know, untouchable. You couldn't take an ad out in the States. You were trouble. You couldn't get on KNOW. Uh, Mm -hmm. They had trouble. And so most of the 
venues like the Vulcan Gas Company, which was the, the critical venue from 67 to 70, they weren't going to ever be advertised anywhere in mass media. So they had to create handmade media. And that's how people found out. There's Wow. You do see a little bit of a revival with this at South By. Mm-hmm. Of course, now we wrap all of our poles in plastic mm-hmm. before <laughs> so that it can all come down. Right, right. <laughs> well, and there are a lot of people who find them obnoxious, but I think that often, since they're all temporary, they are a momentary glimpse into the culture. You know where I always think of these kind of posters, and and I, I think for some reason many of them have come down in recent past, and fairly recently, is when I go into Green Mesquite, mm-hmm. it's papered with, you know, prints, reproductions of many of these posters right, right. where you might see Grateful Dead playing at Maynard Downs right, or right. ZZ Top before they were huge certainly asleep at the wheel and a lot of the rocky erickson those names that have already come up but they had them all over that place for many 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 years they did so they become a historical record as well and if something uh, if a local psychedelic band for instance can't get into print otherwise they're memorialized forever in posters one of the things that I think is very interesting about the, the posters that I believe you pointed out is in your article is that just as much as people come in and see a music scene and go, this is where I want to live, yeah. which is what is still happens today. People come for South By, they come for ACL they Fest. Think, they think it's like that all year round. <laughs> it's not. For those of you listening in Iceland... <laughs> It's not like South by all the time. But people would have that same sort of connection when they would see these po- the poster scene. Exactly. They would go, this town's for me, this, right? You know, cool people live here. Yeah. Exactly. It had that same effect. You know, that wasn't always true <laughs> before all this. Yeah. There was no sense that cool people lived here. <laughs> right? You know, this was kind of, as, as people say, a kind of a sleepy, backward town. It's run by the... Anglo business community and it really began to change and these posters were the visible evidence of it. And thank God, goodness we have this new uh, documentary to make sure that we don't forget. Yeah, and I, I know you've been collecting these stories for, for many, many years, but yeah, you just, just in uh, late summer of 2020, this Poster Boys movie, which you can see on YouTube or Vimeo, if you'd like to donate, <laughs> basically watch it on Vimeo and pay for a few bucks. Uh, but it is free on YouTube as well, but... I highly recommend people watch it because the the visuals of everything we're talking about, you need to see this. Not just the wonderful posters, which they have swirling and popping out at you like you're on drugs or something. Right. But also the incredible video and still images of the music scene back then and then eye-opening interviews with the poster artists, either who are alive today or passed shortly after they were interviewed. Poster Boys, I I highly recommend it. It's not high budget, but it is the best kind of compilation of all of the things that went into the great music concert poster art of uh, the 60s, 70s, and into the early 80s. I wonder how many of these posters are just laying around and 
people's attics or somewhere and and there, there's got to be a scene of collectors for oh there is there's absolutely a scene of collectors in the documentary there's a scene with a super collector jeff nightberg who was a, a, a cultural figure in our city for many years it still is a lot of his is not for sale i mean you couldn't afford it <laughs> i mean some of these are uh-huh. truly truly rare and if they're in great condition but you know at the same time there's some apartment some dinky apartment that's just full of them yeah and someday <laughs> somebody's going to come in and go uh this is worth a fortune this is worth a fortune we mentioned it on on another episode with aquafest that i have a, a an old 1973 river city road races poster mm-hmm. It's just super, super cool. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I don't have it hanging anywhere because my wife doesn't want a motorsports <laughs> race poster. But eventually... Yeah. <laughs> we'll put, you put it in here. You can put it in your <laughs> Airstream. Um, I should mention that there was a, a very good exhibit of these posters a few years ago at Texas State in the Whitliff Collections. And they came out with a, a marvelous, essential book called Homegrown. Uh, about the poster culture, I encourage you to mm. to get your hands on that. There are a couple of essays, one of them by Joe Nick Potosky, that are really worth reading. There was a scene in the documentary that stood out to me, and I'm sure you noticed it too. It was footage of a concert in Woolridge Park. Oh, yeah. And it says, uh, there's a little subtitle, and it says, APD undercover surveillance video (laughs) like clearly apd was watching this hippie movement and the psychedelic movement as a problem the establishment as we called them back then were terrified of these hippies (laughs) right the truth was almost all of them were harmless but they used the excuse of some of the more violent activists mostly at the national level But yeah, the FBI had uh, informants all over Austin because it was a hotbed of of protests against the war, for one Mm -hmm. thing, and other things. But also because they felt like our country was falling apart. And they felt like... They didn't see 2020 yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You should see it now, folks. (laughs) This is what falling apart is is really about. But the hippies were mostly very harmless and peaceful and friendly. And I was not old enough to be a hippie, but I was kind of a hippie wannabe. Yeah, yeah. There still are a lot of hippie (laughs) wannabes. Well, there's neo hippies. Yeah, Yeah, go down to the green belt on a weekend. Yeah. The kids want to be hippies now. Yeah. they're embracing it. Yeah. Very, very cool time and a place. You t- people talk about a lot of the things that, that, that shaped Austin into being, you know, this, this little blue zone in a red state. And this is a piece of that, too. This is it's a the piece music. Of that. And there were a lot of cool things that shaped us, what Lady Bird Johnson did to the lake. There, there's so many of these moments. Willie, the posters are definitely after. Reading your story and and watching the documentary, you go, wow, this this really did shape where we are today. And we can can thank a lot of them for it. Yeah. I know some have passed, but are are any of these artists still around? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Jim Franklin's around. Carrie On's around. I think Michael Priest recently passed. 
An institution that has done a really good job of preserving that period is the Museum of Popular Culture. It used to be on South Lamar. I think it's up on North Lamar now. It, it often has exhibits of this art, and that's where you can meet a lot of these artists hmm. that are still living. Very, very cool. And check out the documentary again. Um, check out the documentary, The Poster Boys, which is out. I, I gather from the, the time of you writing this in August of 2020, they're, they're doing the... Uh, you know the the uh, the film circuit and trying to get it and drum up some interest in it, which is a weird time to no do no they can't because all the festivals mm. have been yeah. canceled. They were they were picked for festival that simply fell through, and so the producer director uh, co director chose instead just to put it on Vimeo, make a few bucks that way. It's not going to cover his costs. Yeah. But maybe next South by, maybe next, you know, whatever. Right. When there is one. Yeah, I recommend watching it. You might bump into one of these people. Oh, yeah. And in and around Austin. It's, it's very, very cool. Thanks for tuning in. If you have comments, feedback, suggestions, uh, we always welcome that. You can reach out to us via email at yes, mbarnes at statesman.com or jhager, H-A-G-E-R, at statesman.com and pick up your copies of Indelible Austin. At Book People and Elsewhere. And also, uh, we're still taking subscribers at Think Texas, which is our weekly free digital newsletter about Texas history, uh, which you can get on your mobile device by texting Think Texas, all one word, to 33777. All right. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.